Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. So this is the, uh, the fifth um, of a series that I've been doing uh, of messages during Lent. Um, if you missed any of the other ones, uh, there's a little card at the back um, and it shows you how to get the podcast and you can hear the other, other bits and bobs as well if you want to hear that. So it's a, it's a fifth in a series and um, in the first week, I really, you know, we reminded ourselves that Jesus, on his journey to Jerusalem, knew that he was going to die. And that by remaining centered on that divine within himself, rather than just trying to control the events that were around him, he was able to remain focused on his purpose while still knowing what was going to happen. Uh, We spoke about that need of keeping our hearts full and not being distracted by what our mind wants us to think about, worries about what others think about us, about what's going to happen to us, and about what we ought to do. When we're focusing on filling the capacity of our hearts with love, that love that comes from within us, then we can remain centered and we're on an even keel and not distracted. We then looked at the thing that most distracts us uh, from focusing on our hearts, and that's our fear. And there's a lot going on in the world at the moment. The mind uses our fear to to drive us into acting. However, those actions are not necessarily always in our best interests. Our mind becomes focused on fear, and therefore we start to want to survive, and our focus becomes on survival. And we look at how... Fear is driving much of what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, Putin, uh, the refugees, all the leaders around the situation being driven by fear. And we looked at at that idea that if we're willing to have our fear, rather than trying to get rid of it, then wisdom often arises. The space of having our fear is often that portal of wisdom. Uh, and it gives us that peace that passes all. We looked at the idea that when we feel fearful and helpless, the thing that we can only the only thing to do really is to serve. Service is actually the end point of spirituality. It's it's the goal of everything we do. And when we serve, we put our attention outside ourselves, and we go beyond our negative emotions, and we're able to make a contribution. And last week, we looked at the idea that the 20th century, 21st century could be the century of spirituality and that we have a part to play in that with our practice. So that's really where I always do a bit of an upgrade. So we've got to, in case you missed any of the other ones, just to see where we are. Um, I was saying last week how we we practice, uh, our spiritual practice affects the world around us. And... Each of us has a unique and vital part to play in the evolution of all consciousness. What we do matters because what we're asked to do and what we're asked to confront through the circumstances that appear in our lives is something that only we can do because only we have those unique challenges that the universe is bringing us. And that by taking on these challenges and using them to bring love into the world, we contribute to this century becoming that century of spirituality. Our commitment to that uh, 
has to be the same level of commitment, I think, that we bring to our meditative practice. Our commitment to our spiritual lives have to be at the same level as any commitment that we might have to our meditative practice. I mean, in meditation, we don't allow ourselves you know, a quick break to think about supper or what we saw on television the night before. If those thoughts come through, we're trained to let them go and return to our breath. During meditation, nothing is more important than our mantra or the breath or the flame, whatever we're focusing on. That's the most important thing. And in the same way, I think, our commitment to our spiritual life has to be total. It's an ever-present task manifesting in the present moment that's always before us. It's always there. We have to commit ourselves to resting in that awareness of the present moment at the back of our minds, whatever we're doing. Yes, we've got things that we have to do in front of us. You know, we have to eat, we have to work, we have to answer people who speak to us, we have to get on the bus, we have to walk the dog. But that awareness of the present moment should never leave us. It's like a, a background hum to all that's going on. If we lose that hum, if we lose that awareness that we are in the present moment, if we forget that awareness, then we lose our anchor and we become susceptible to the eddy and currents of the ocean of our lives. And there's a danger that we're going to go off course and lose direction. And then we begin to live for our ego and for our minds. And our focus becomes different. So you have to keep that hum in the back of your minds. Because if we don't, we start to begin to feel separate again. And our actions then become about survival. And, and so we become lost. But with the hum of awareness of the present moment, we always have the opportunity of seeing where we can transform a difficult situation through love. We're always cultivating that sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love that I was talking about last week. That's Rowan Williams' definition of spirituality, the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. Sometimes that background hum of awareness can become a roar as we're all consumed by the present moment, as with a tennis player in their zone, or an artist painting, or, or a science, scientist inventing, or during sex, or while listening to music or while eating food, or during a peak experience of any time. When that happens, we become overtaken, or our mind is overtaken by the present moment. And we can do nothing but just be with it and be taken along with it. But for the most part, we have to maintain that hum of awareness. We listen to it during whatever's going on. Like I'm speaking now, and you can hear what I'm saying and have that hum of awareness going on that we are together in this present moment. 
we amplify that harm when we want to open a source of wisdom, when we want to work out what to do. We engage with it when circumstances seem to overpower us, and it gives us the resources to come through. And then daily in practice, we practice, in our spiritual practice, we practice doing nothing but listening to that hum. We exclude all other thought. And if the mind comes in with something, we let it go and we come back to our breath or our mantra. And so our spiritual practice is literally just that. It's, it's practicing doing nothing but listening to that hum. We let go of all other thought, and if the mind comes in with something, we let it go and come back to our breath. Practicing being in the moment during that time so that when we are out and about in the world, we can take that practice with us. Our spiritual practice is us just making sure we remember that, just like an athlete preparing for a race. We prepare for what we have to face in life. So that's, that's really the basis of it. But I mean, I always ask, you know, to what end do we do all of this? Sometimes I think to myself that I'm doing all this, but nothing seems to change. Putin is still rampaging through the Ukraine. My life seems to carry on with all the same problems. And quite frankly, it doesn't seem to make any difference. What's the point in carrying on with all of this if it doesn't change things? And the moment I start thinking this, I realize that I'm beginning to bargain with God or the universe or the grander being or whatever you like to call that eternal truth. I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying to God is, look, I'm doing all this stuff. At least, you know, you could help me with the things that I'm dealing with. At least you could answer prayers and stop war. At the very least, you can give me a little extra spiritual experience given all the meditation that I'm doing. Maybe a tiny glimpse of nirvana or a smidgen of sartori or just a little bit of light. It's not as if I'm asking for levitation, just to, to feel a little spiritually elevated. We want to see results, just like you know the televangelists say, if you do this, then you will get abundance, you'll get a lover, you'll get money, you'll get better health, you'll get power. But you know, this work is not about bargaining. It's not about bargaining, it's about love which is giving with no expectation of return. It's giving with no expectation of return. Not even that you'll you know, cure granny's leg. or you know, it, it, It's giving with no expectation of return. If we're not giving with no expectation of return, we're looking for payback in what we're doing. And this game is not about payback. It's about love and service. I came across that lovely quote from Proverbs. It really hit me, actually, the other day. It says, 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. There's an even-handedness and wisdom about it that recognizes that advantage of the middle way of knowing that we have enough and that enough is good enough. There is a humility in accepting that right where we are is exactly the right place to be. That I have enough work in what I'm being asked to do here that I shouldn't look for something greater and better, that I have enough money, that I have enough with the health that I possess, I have enough in my family, I have enough in my friends, I have enough in my housing, I have enough in my food. It is the humility to accept what I'm being given in my life and to work from this point, you know, the serenity prayer, God grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But also to fully embrace where I am without trying to use my spiritual life to change things, but to have my life be my love offering to the universe that my life is simply my love offering to the universe. And my spiritual life is not some way that I'm trying to feel better, do better, or get things to happen in a better way. And there's a, do you know, there is a peace in acting in life in that way. There's a trust in the process that we're all involved in. And there's a wisdom, you know, the trust is the fact that there is a wisdom far greater than myself that's using the love that I have to offer, even if I'm not aware of the effect that I'm having. There's something that is using what I'm doing, even if I can't see it. I may not see it, but the knowledge that I'm a part of that greater wisdom is the peace that comes with this way of life. It's the knowledge that I'm part of something greater. I may not see the effect, but the knowledge that I'm part of that greater wisdom is the peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding. Peace is the evidence that you are practicing the presence of God. Peace is the evidence. I always think that, you know, when you try to people try to prove, does God exist or not? They always sort of go out there and say, well, let's get the microbes and find the God particle and let's test things and all that. But they're forgetting this part of it and the real evidence that there is, that there is a divine nature, that a divine order is the peace that we feel when we have no right to feel that peace. Peace is the evidence that you're practicing the presence of God even if you don't see the tangible proof around you. Which is why Jesus was at peace on the way to Jerusalem when he knew he was going to die. 
and why others in hugely trying situations often seem to have found their peace. It is a state of peace in which you can be totally at ease, in which your body, mind, heart and soul relax. It is a state in which you know no fear. You know, that old thing that perfect love casts out fear. When you feel centered in that way, that, that centeredness casts out fear. It is a state of forgiveness, that peace. It is a state from which love flows freely. It is a state of inner clarity in which you perceive the truth. It is a state where you can tell the truth without fear of judgment or rejection. It is a state in which your ego mind is quiet. It is that state in which you know the essence of your consciousness to be the same essence of the consciousness of all things. You just know that. And it is the preferred state of consciousness. But, but how to be in that state of consciousness? That's the eternal question. And, you know, when you ask the wise one, the answer you get is, it's just letting go. If you want that peace and to be at that peace, if you want to feel that love at the center of your heart, if you want to savor the present moment, then you've got to let go of all the constraints and ideas and opinions that you have about yourself and about your life. You've got to let them go. That's all there is to it. Simple, isn't it? But, you know, it is difficult. You know, years of personal experience combined with centuries of cultural learning have taught us the importance of holding on. You know, we hold on to our desires. I want to get that. I want to get that Porsche. You know, I want to get that. We hold on to what we think, our opinions and attitudes. We're so invested in them. We hold on to what promises us happiness. We hold on to our possessions. We hold on to our image of who we are. We hold on to our ideas of what is right. We hold on to our theories. We hold on to our beliefs. We hold on to our attitudes, our judgments. We hold on to the past. And we hold on to the future. We hold on to grievances. We hold on to fears and loves. We hold on to our lovers. We hold on to money. And we hold on to our thoughts, our illusions. We hold on to our gods. And we hold on to our bodies. We hold on to our lives. But why do we hold on so much? Maybe we believe that our safety lies in those things that we want to hold on to, that losing our grip can spell disaster. That actually, we think that if we lose our grip on what we're holding on to, then we'll lose our anchor. When either the reverse is true, it's just when you, when you actually let, let go of the awareness of simply being in the present moment that you lose your anchor. It's not in your thoughts. Or maybe you believe that holding on is the way to salvation. You know, would letting go of these things be so bad? You know, what do we gain from holding on? It's the role of a teacher to show us that such security is illusory. 
that holding on does hold us back and that our salvation lies in letting go. Our holding on is a constraint that we place on ourselves. And it's just an attitude, it's just a way of thinking. And our thinking, unlike the weather or the movements of the planets, our thinking, all that holding on is a way of mind, an attitude, it's our thinking. And our thinking, unlike everything else, unlike the movement of the planets and the sun and the way the world works, our thinking is the one thing we have complete control over. We do have control over our thinking. And the task of the teacher is to show us that we can change our minds and it's safe to do so. Paramansa Yogananda says, those who make peace in the factory of meditation are children of God. God first manifests as peace to those who meditate. Those who feel God as peace always want to manifest that God peace in their home, in their society, in their neighborhoods, in the nation, and in all nations and races. Anyone who brings peace to an inharmonious family establishes God there. Anyone who, forsaking national greed and selfishness, works to establish peace among warring nations, is establishing God in the heart of nations. But, he says, anyone who stirs up strife among brother nations under the guise of patriotism is a traitor, a faithless child of God. Anyone who keeps family members, neighbors, and friends fighting through fostering falsehoods and gossip is also a maker of disturbance and helps to oust God from the temple of harmony. That was written by Yogananda many years ago, and it really speaks to that idea of peacemaking rather than peace-forcing. We have to be peacemakers rather than peace-forcers. And I think that depends on our inner life, on our ability to create an equanimity, which is what you get when you let go. You have an equi equanimity with what is. You're, you're able to be with the present moment because you're not invested in something else. You're not trying to control the circumstances. You're responding to the present moment. So it's our inner life, our ability to create an equanimity within us that leads to us being able to make peace without forcing. We have to realize that we don't know the true nature of things. We have to yearn for the presence of the divine. We have to be meek enough not always to strive for our, our own way. We have to trust in a righteous way. We have to realize the oneness of all three things through our compassion. And we have to let go of our rational mind in order to find the peace of the universal mind 
in the present moment. That peace, the peace that passes all understanding, is what qualifies us to be peacemakers as children of the universal mind. This is the course that humanity has to take as its consciousness evolves from strife to peace, from rationalism to a visionary approach, from raping the planet to caring for the planet, from many nations to one world, from many races to one race, the human race, and from many species of varying importance to a respect for life in all its forms. We are all on the way to that destiny. And each of us alive today has the opportunity of being a part and contributing to that journey. I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.